Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone that's joining us in the Zoom room or watching us on YouTube or listening to this later on the podcast or the the recording on YouTube. We're really glad you're with us this morning. If you're joining us, just you're welcome to say hello in the chat box. Let us know where you're joining us from. It's been so delightful to recognize this community is really a community stretched across hundreds and thousands of miles. Folks from around the country and even around the world come together for this time of worship, this time of remembering who we are and how we want to be in the world. I don't know about you, but it's been another emotional week. It's been an emotional week remembering all of those lost to COVID, including those in our own circles and families, those in our congregation. It's been an emotional week inaugurating a new president and catching a glimpse of what the country might become. It's been an emotional week, and it is good to come together, to have this time of worship be a touchstone that reminds us of who we are and who we hope to be in the world. And in this faith community, we come together remembering that we are the people who welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. We are the people who listen deeply to where love is calling us next and then follow the promptings of love. And we are the people who, with humility, courage and compassion act to create a more just world. We do all of these things as a faith community committed to dismantling white supremacy culture and to building the beloved community, that place where everyone is welcome, where everyone is free, that place of true liberation. This is who we are and the life that we invite you into. As we embrace this online and virtual worship space, I want to remind you that First Universalist does not have any residency requirements for membership. You do not need to be in the city of Minneapolis or the Twin Cities or even Minnesota. You can live anywhere in the world and be a part of this faith community. So if you've been joining us from the East Coast, the West Coast, someplace outside of the United States and are interested in becoming a member, join us at our First Step class that will next be offered on Sunday, February 7th and learn more about membership or be in touch with Reverend Arif Mamdani. I also wanna give you one heads up about today's service. Uh, Seth Matz is sharing a story with us this morning, a story that contains images of fire and is a story about a forest fire. As always, we trust you to take good care of yourselves and we wanted you to know that this story is coming. So dear ones, let's take a breath. Let's take a couple of breaths. Let's settle into this time and space together, being still for just a moment. And we'll do as we often and actually always do. We'll take three deep breaths to begin our time, to find that shared breath that connects us across time and space. Let's take three smooth, deep breaths together.
This is a story about a fire. A great big fire that took over a great big forest. The fire grew and grew, and soon enough the fire began to reach the homes of the forest creatures. They all ran away from the fire in a frenzy as fast as they could, and soon enough a crowd had gathered right at the edge of the flames. Their eyes stared widely as the blaze swept through their land. It grew larger and larger, swelling taller and wider. All of the creatures sat and watched their bodies fixed in place. They felt overwhelmed, powerless, and terribly afraid. All of the creatures, that is, except for one little hummingbird. In the blink of an eye, the hummingbird buzzed right past the crowd, came right back and approached the edge of the flames and dropped a single drop of water from its tiny little beak. And then just as fast as he came, he ran away and he went back to the stream. He arrived back to the edge of the flames with his tiny drop of water and dropped it right on the fire. And then he went back to the stream and got another drop of water and back and forth. And he continued this route over and over and over again, buzzing past the crowd, past the elephants, past the tigers, past the rhinoceroses who had so much more they could do, so much more to offer. They loomed so large. And as the hummingbird buzzed past the crowd for the umpteenth time, one rhino finally spoke and hollered out to them and said, hummingbird, the fire is enormous. You're making such little difference with your little drops of water. Just what exactly do you think you're doing? And without missing a beat, the hummingbird turned to him and said, I am doing the best I can. What other choice do I have? Friends, in times such as these, when we feel as if the whole world is on fire, we may be feeling overwhelmed and powerless and terribly afraid. We may think or even be told that we're too small or insignificant to matter, but we don't have to be like the crowd of animals surrendering to the flames. We can be the hummingbird. The hummingbird couldn't stand by and watch it all burn. The hummingbird had to do whatever they could to fight that fire, to save the forest, and to survive. It was as if the hummingbird's body moved on its own, like standing still was simply impossible. We can choose to fight the fire. We can move our bodies toward resistance. We can devote ourselves to our survival. We can do the best we can. What other choice do we have? Seth, thank you for your storytelling and reminder that sometimes the work, and it looks different for all of us, but sometimes it's starting where we are with what we have, doing what we can. But when we're a part of a community, Sometimes there's a sense that we can do even more because we know we can take turns, we can take shifts for the movement, we can find strength in that 
larger community. And so as we move further into our service, I invite you now to hear the words of Anne Reed as she plays Walk On, a song that has deep meaning and resonance to many in this congregation as we imagine what is possible as we move together in common cause. It's a long road we've set our feet upon A long road we've set our feet upon And with loving hearts we walk on with Loving hearts walk on We will walk on And it's so good to be back, especially today, because beloveds, we have made it. <laughs> if you are listening or watching this today, you have survived the crises of our times thus far. You have survived the pandemic of systemic racism and COVID-19, the interlocking oppressions that damage and diminish us all. If you are watching or listening today, you have made it through this period of collective trauma of no one in charge as our nation seems to spin out of control, as our siblings are harmed without our leaders seeming to care. If you are here listening or watching today, you have survived so far the destruction of our climate and the rise of lies being told as if they were true. If you are here listening and watching with us today, you have made it thus far. We have made it thus far, and that is a very, very big deal. Our survival has been an act of resistance. We know it could have been otherwise. We know that for so many of us, in fact, it has been otherwise. It was just a few weeks ago just a few weeks ago when an armed insurrection founded in lies and steeped in white supremacy attempted to interrupt the hard-won election of a new president and administration. And this week we watched something different unfold on the steps of our nation's capital. We saw their dignity and diversity, honesty and inclusion. We witnessed age old glass ceilings shattered as our country welcomed to its second highest office, a black South Asian American woman to the vice presidency. We witnessed nods to all who came before, everyone who has given their lives and their energy and their resources to move this country toward a more honest living of its ideals. We witnessed recognition of the indigenous people who were killed and lied to and moved off the land that they had inhabited for generations. We witnessed recognition of the enslaved Africans whose stolen lives and labor form the foundation of our nation, whose blood through the generations still stains the history of our country. We witnessed nods 
to the suffragettes and to the vision and courage of the first black woman to run for the presidency, Shirley Chisholm. We saw that recognized in the presence of the color purple, joy, and also the color of her candidacy worn by Vice President Kamala Harris and Dr. Jill Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Michelle Obama. In the inauguration of a new administration this week, we witnessed a broad welcome, a welcome that crossed language and gender and color and culture. It absolutely mattered that Andrea Hall, the first female African-American fire chief of Fulton County, Georgia, delivered the Pledge of Allegiance in both sign language and English. It mattered that it was Eugene Goodman, the black Capitol Police officer who single-handedly led an armed mob away from our legislators, that he was the one to escort Vice President Kamala Harris to the ceremony. It mattered that Jennifer Lopez sang and spoke to us in English and in Spanish as she named our shared ideals of liberty and justice for all. It mattered that our nation has now become transfixed with the powerful voice of youth and young adulthood, witnessing the words and wisdom of Amanda Gorman as her prophecy came forth in poetry. It absolutely mattered that we got to hear John Legend singing about a new day with Abraham Lincoln sitting behind him. And it mattered. It mattered that before all of this, we remembered those we have lost. That even as we lifted up our hopes for a new day, even as we recommitted ourselves to the work that is absolutely ahead, as we move toward being a country and a faith that lives into its ideals, that before all of that, we started right where we should, remembering and grieving and bringing in close the spirits of our now ancestors whose lives have been lost. Not all of us have made it to this day. So today, on this day, as we gather to make sense of all that we have known in these last few years, we welcome in the spirit of our ancestors to be with us wherever we are. Wherever we are, we welcome them in as we grieve, as we breathe, as we celebrate, as we sleep, some of us soundly, for the first time in four years. We welcome our ancestors in to be with us, to lift us up, to hold us accountable to a vision we have shared for generations. And we do what we always do when we come to church. As the black theologian James Cone once said, we come to church on Sundays to find out where we are in relation to the actualization of our dreams. We come to church to find out where we are in relation to the actualization of our dream. And that is what we are doing today. So today it makes sense to notice where we are. And for many, this week and these days are a time of celebration. It's a time to breathe deep, to literally let our bodies shake off the weight of this more oppressive regime that has dominated our nation, that has led us away from the ideals of our country and our faith. And I want us, for those of us who this resonates for, to welcome this joy, this fuller breath, this time of rest for those who can find it or feel it, because we need joy and celebration. We need 
to see ourselves reflected in the faces of our leaders and in our community as a whole. We need to feel the delight of simply being alive, of having made it to this new day. Joy and celebration, dignity and pride are central to our survival. Seeing ourselves reflected back in the faces of others is essential to our survival. Knowing that we are not alone can help us keep going through sometimes intolerable feeling circumstances. It can help us to survive when we know that we are in this together. So we are in this together and we are surviving and that survival itself is an act of resistance. Audre Lorde, the black lesbian feminist warrior poet and mother famously wrote this. She said, oh, not yet, Jen, we're close. So Audre Lorde, the black lesbian feminist warrior poet and mother famously wrote that caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Audre Lorde knew that when you live on the margins of what is considered acceptable in society, when you and the people you love have been cast out or cast down and denied basic human rights and opportunities, when you have endured the trauma of generations, when you have been steeped in lies that one group of people is somehow superior to another and deserving of more than the other, when you dare to know the truth of your own value and worth and dignity and power and you advocate for the interconnectedness of all of us, then your very existence is an affront to the structures and systems that would take you down in service of the status quo. So here we are, people who believe in the worth and dignity of every human being, people who honor the earth and work to protect it, people who acknowledge that we need each other and that if we are ever to embody the ideals of our faith, we must work together, lifting each other up, welcoming all. For us as Unitarian Universalists, our very existence is an act of resistance. So I'm gonna take us now to this article from June, 2020 in Essence Magazine. And John, if you wanna show that slide now, that would be great. So in this article, a mental health therapist tells us about self-care and self-preservation as essential to these times. And they are not, as they say in the article, talking about mimosas and bubble baths. Instead, they are reminding us that self-care is really about physical and psychological self-preservation. Self-care is about maintaining a sense of mental wellness amidst huge societal ills and disease. And that is right where we are. We are right in the midst of huge societal ills and disease. So when your life, as they say, when your life or the lives of your loved ones is deemed as less valid, how revolutionary then is the act of self-care? How political does caring for your own wellness become when the state sees nothing but danger in the color of your skin? So I want these questions to sit with us this week. And I want you to think about what are you doing for your own mental and physical wellness in the midst of such huge societal ills and disease? What can you do? What can you ask for help in doing? As our beloved affiliated minister, the Reverend Ashley Haran is known to say, we are all of us. 
all of us taking shifts for the revolution. The realization of our dreams of an actively anti-racist, multicultural community where everyone can bring the fullness of who they are and we can all thrive will require all of us doing what we can. And what we can do is different for each of us at different times. But I do know this, none of us can do anything if we don't survive. Survival is an act of resistance. Our ancestors knew this. And I wanna tell you a story about one of them. One of my favorite examples in history comes from the story of Sojourner Truth. I'll tell you a little bit more about her in just a moment, but I wanna set the stage and tell you about this thing that happened in the 1800s. So there wasn't social media or uh, TV or a lot of the gadgets we have today. What there was when you wanted to get your ideas out there, there were lectures and speeches and pamphlets. And there was this other thing called cards de visite or visiting cards. They were essentially trading cards of the time and they became wildly popular and their own whole business that was going on in the 1800s. They took advantage of a new technology, uh, photography, and it enabled people to have photos taken of themselves or of others and have these cards passed out. So you could imagine if you attended a speech at the time, or maybe one of your siblings or a relative or a friend uh, heard about a new idea or a new person they wanted to introduce you to, they would get a hold of one of these visiting cards and they would share it with you or put it in the mail to you. And so in this way, images and ideas would spread all over the country. So this, like I said, was big business. It was a tool of self-promotion and promotion of important ideas that folks wanted to get out there. And Sojourner Truth, took control of this form of uh, self-promotion, you could say. So let me just remind us, Sojourner Truth is a powerful figure in history, powerful ancestor to have with us. She was a woman born into slavery who was bought and sold, beaten and harassed, and who walked out and asserted her own autonomy. She, in her freedom, renamed herself she learned how to read and write and became one of the most electrifying speakers of the time, sharing not only her own experiences of what it was like to be enslaved, but also her beliefs in what should be the rights of women and the abolition of slavery. You might remember her from her Ain't I a Woman speech. She did so much on behalf of enslaved Africans and women in their country. So she not only survived, but then she learned about the tools of her time and turned them not just to her benefit, but to the benefit of the movement. And here's how she did it. So she created these cards de visite, these visiting cards, right? She chose her own clothing, her own position, her own way of presenting herself to the world. And she directed America's gaze to herself. She did something that wasn't ever done at the time. She copyrighted her own image. And on every visiting card she created, she stamped particular set of words. She stamped the words, I sell the shadow to support the substance. And John, will you show us the images uh, now? Okay, so these are three different visiting cards of the time. So the center is Sojourner Truth, and you can see there the words that she has stamped on the bottom of her card. And she did this so that there wouldn't be well, certainly there were still fake images of her out there, but she wanted people to know these were hers. This was, when you saw these words, these were authentically Sojourner Truth visiting cards printed by her for her to support the movement. Uh, 
So she wrote, I sell the shadow to support the substance. I sell the shadow to support the substance. Now you've got pictures here on your screen of Harriet Tubman on your left and Frederick Douglass on your right, uh, folks who also controlled their public image through these photos and these cards. And in these images, they reflected back to the black people of the days, their strength and dignity that they already knew and to others who had been uh, told so many lies about who black people were, who former slaves were. They got to see a new image of what was true. So you can come on back to me now, John, although I love these images. I just want you to think with me for a minute of how powerful it was for someone who had been bought and sold as a human being to own their own image, to shape how they're gonna be seen, to sell it, and to use the profits from those images to put out new ideas and possibilities and to support not only themselves, but their movement for justice. So, so powerful, these cards and those images. And to me, I see those pictures and I see survival as an act of resistance. So I invite us to take in the strength of our ancestors, to take in the strength of what it is to survive and then to be in the world in the ways that we choose to be. So I will say again, survival is an act of resistance and it matters that we have survived these four years and these four centuries and beyond. It matters that so many did not and it matters that so many more people in our communities and in our world will not survive if conditions continue as they have been because some conditions are simply not survivable. No matter how strong you are, no matter how many resources you bring to bear, no matter the strength and the breadth of your community, there are some situations, some conditions that are simply not survivable. And it doesn't mean that you or those you loved weren't working hard, that you weren't strong, or that God was somehow not looking favorably upon you. Some conditions simply cannot be survived, no matter what we bring to bear. I, I think about that when I think of all of those who have lost their lives to COVID-19. It was not lack of strength or some uncaring God that led to their death. It was a disease and the mishandling of this country's response that led to those deaths. It was not lack of strength that ended or injured the lives of enslaved Africans who were brought here in chains. It's the conditions that they endured, conditions that continue to exist, that it is our duty to change so that survival is no longer an act of resistance, but actually a given for us. Survival for children crossing a border with their parents. Survival for black and brown, indigenous and transgender people. Survival for our elders and our children. Survival for the poor and disenfranchised. Survival for those seeking refuge or simply the chance to breathe. Survival as a given, as a foundation for us all in our interconnectedness. So in these days that feel new and old all at once, I find myself turning like I often do to the voices of the poets to sustain and inspire me. I have been hearing again and again this week, gratefully, the words of Amanda Gorman, 
our newly proclaimed national treasure who tells us we are not broken, but unfinished, who names our nation not as a place of perfection or polish, but as a place that is striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of humanity. I go back to Audre Lorde, who tells us that self-care is not self-indulgence, but self-preservation, who reminds us that our very survival is an act of resistance. I go back to Audre Lorde in all of her work when she reminds us that there is work to be done for the poet in each of us. The poet in each of us whose job is to envision what has not yet been, and then to work with every fiber of our being to make the reality of those visions irresistible. I go to the words of the poet, Joy Harjo, our nation's poet laureate from 2019, the first Native American and member of the Muscogee Band to hold that position, who in her poetry reminds us to call our spirits back, to call our spirits back by putting down that bag of chips, that white bread, that can of pop, she says, to let ourselves be greeted by the friendly winds of the outdoors to give one out and take one in those deep breaths as we are able to let the fresh air move through us, to sing and move our bodies as we are able to cleanse ourselves, to ask honestly for forgiveness, surrounding ourselves with those who love us, sleeping, celebrating, giving what we have, keeping the speeches short, she says, and then always, always turning to help the next person find their way through their struggles and into their power. These are our charges. So I pray today that our ancestors might be alive in us, that we might commit and recommit to our own survival, to each other's shared survival, to the survival of our dreams of a world yet to be. I pray that we might heal and celebrate and that together we might create the conditions that allow for the flourishing of future generations. Always remembering that it is our job once we survive to turn and help the next person through their struggles and into their power. May it be so, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.